We'll take our text this morning from the Scripture reading. We'll look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 4. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you, this day. That word cleave is an interesting word, not one we use very often anymore. It means to adhere to, to stick to, or to cling to. Here the Lord was reminding the children of Israel through Moses what he did for those who cleaved unto him. It's also a bit of a history lesson for them because he recounted and said, you've seen what I've done to those that refused to cleave to the Lord, those that chose to disobey and rebel against the Lord. This group of Israelites that was being addressed was the generation that had actually come after the previous generation. Their fathers had forsaken God. They had cast aside God's promises. We know they were the ones, as they were getting ready to enter into the promised land, they uh, fell into fear and unbelief and disinherited themselves from the promise of God. But this generation here was being reminded You cleave to the Lord. You're still alive to this day. And this was the generation that was able to actually go in and possess the land. It's important to cleave to the Lord. See a picture of cleaving first mentioned in Genesis, and it speaks about marriage, and it talks about a man leaving his father and his mother and cleaving unto his wife. This gives us that picture of uh, leaving and cleaving. He leaves father and mother. It's a picture of forsaking or leaving everything else behind and sticking to or holding fast to our spouse. We know, too, in the marriage, when two are joined together in God's sight, they become one flesh. So we know, even though uh, weddings are performed on earth, they're recorded in heaven, but it gives us a picture of an exclusive relationship. They become one flesh. We know when they're joined in holy matrimony, it's been said that at that moment, picture yourself in the middle of an invisible circle and everything and everyone else outside of that circle stays outside that circle. So we see it's an exclusive relationship. Gives us a kind of a picture of what it means to cleave or cling unto the Lord. Clinging, we know, takes both hands. If you were drowning in an ocean and somebody threw you a lifeline, you wouldn't just casually reach out and take a hold of one hand. You'd let go of everything else and you'd hold on to that lifeline for dear life. You would cling to that thing. Well, cleaving to the Lord requires letting go of some other things. Proverbs 3, verse 5, 6, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. So we know sometimes our own understanding, our own ideas can keep us from cleaving to the Lord. You know, cleaving takes faith and trust and obedience It doesn't require understanding. That will sometimes come later, but we don't necessarily need to understand God's entire plan or even what He would command us to do. We have to trust and obey, but 
We have to lay aside at times our own understanding in order to cleave to the Lord. We know the wisdom, man's wisdom is contrary to God's wisdom. Says the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. He taketh them in their own craftiness, the wise in their own conceit or their own craftiness. It tells us that um, the wisdom of the world or the foolishness of God is more powerful than the wisdom of the world. We know God's words and precepts make no sense to the carnal mind. And it tells us again, it says the carnal mind isn't subject to the laws of God, neither indeed can be. So we see that uh, God's ways are higher than our ways, and we don't understand them on an intellectual level at times. We have to sometimes lay down our own understanding to cleave to the Lord. It says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that perish, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God unto salvation. You think about the paradoxes you find in the Bible. A paradox is a statement that seems contradictory or is opposed to common sense, and yet it's true. We see all kinds of paradoxes in God's Word. It speaks about strength through weakness, victory through surrender. Jesus said, if any man wants to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Life from death, finding our lives by losing it, gain through loss. Paul himself said, I count all things but loss so that I can gain Christ or so that I can win Christ. So again, we see man's wisdom is contrary to God's wisdom, but we want to cleave to the Lord. We have to lean on the Lord. Let him direct our paths. And sometimes we have to abandon our own understanding. Cleaving, we know, means repentance. Again, we see this picture of leaving and cleaving, you know. We have to leave that old life of sin to cleave unto the Lord. You know, you can't cleave to the Lord and remain neutral. Some people think they can somehow straddle the fence or stay somewhere in the middle. You can't do that. You can't cleave to the Lord and try to take a neutral position. I was reminded of the man who, during the Civil War era, he decided he was going to wear the gray trousers of a Union soldier and he was going to wear the red jacket of a Confederate soldier. Figured he'd be safe. His only problem is every time he walked down the street, he got shot at from both sides. So he can't remain neutral. The Bible says you can't serve two masters. Either you'll hold to the one or cleave to the one or despise the other. So we see uh, it means repentance, a turning away from sin and a cleaving unto the Lord. Romans 6.6 6 says that when we're saved, that old man is crucified or we're crucified with Christ. That body of sin is destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. That word henceforth means from that point on or going forward. So we see there is a leaving, a leaving behind. We're separating ourselves from the world and we're cleaving unto the Lord. First Peter chapter 2, verse 1 also gives us a list of some other things what we're to lay aside. It says, wherefore laying aside all malice, all guile, all hypocrisies, all envies, and all evil speakings. It says, let us do these things that we might desire, desire the sincere, sincere milk of the word and grow thereby. But you know, I've been thinking about that list, that list of things we're to lay aside. It mentions guile, 
Guiles that desire to cause pain or injury or distress. A vengeful or a vindictive spirit. That's guile. It says to lay that, or that's malice, excuse me. Speaks of guile. Deceit. Deception. Blurring the lines. Twisting or exploiting or exaggerating the truth. We don't want to be guilty of those things. The Bible says, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. It says we're to swear to our hurt and change not. Even if the truth may bring uh, difficult consequences, we hold to the truth. We don't want any guile. We have to lay those things aside if we're to cleave to Christ. Speaks of envies. I'm sorry, it speaks of hypocrisies. That is used in the plural sense rather than the singular sense. It means there's more than one type of hypocrisy. One of the types that Jesus most condemned the scribes and the Pharisees for, he says, you bind heavy burdens on other men's shoulders, but you don't do a single thing to lift a finger to help bear those burdens. In other words, he was saying, you set a standard or a code of conduct for everyone else that's so high that you refuse to live up to that same standard. That's hypocrisy. Pretending to be something we're not. Again, Jesus said, they say and do not. It's that attitude of do as I say, not as I do. It's having a profession without any possession of what you profess to have. Pretending to be something you're not. Somebody said hypocrisy is like the man who comes to church and he sings onward Christian soldiers on Sunday and he ends up going AWOL on Monday. We don't want to be inconsistent. Our words must match our actions and our deeds. So it says we have to lay aside all hypocrisies. Mentions envies, resentment, jealousy, desiring to have what others possess. You know, Proverbs calls envy the rottenness of the bones. Sounds like some pretty bad stuff. It says lay it aside. Last thing mentioned is evil speakings. You know, it's easy to think of that as maybe profanity or vulgarity, and certainly those things would fit under that category. But you know, it's a pretty comprehensive list, really. It could include gossip, slander, backbiting, sowing discord among the brethren, Murmuring and complaining, these are all considered evil speakings. The Bible says to lay those things aside. You can't cleave to those things. You can't practice those things and cleave to the Lord. It doesn't work. So we have to lay those things aside in order to cleave to the Lord. Something else that sometimes people have a hard time setting aside, and that's bitterness. You know, the Word of God tells us in Hebrews 12.15, says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Bitterness is a terrible thing. It's amazing the things that some people will choose to hang on to, things that started out so small, Yet they hold on to it and it festers and it grows. It says not only will it damage that person, it will destroy all of those around them. Bitterness has been likened to different things. 
Someone once said, it's like a man who takes rat poison, hoping the rat will die. It's like acid that eventually will eat through the very container that holds it. Bitterness has been likened to cancer. It says it can start inside small and at times even undetected, but if it goes, if it goes untreated and you don't deal with it, it will grow and eventually destroy everything around it. So, so important. We cannot hold on to bitterness. You will never meet an overcoming, victorious Christian who is harboring bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. You won't. Jesus said, if you can't forgive men their trespasses, your Lord, heavenly Father, won't forgive you. The cost for bitterness far exceeds the cost to forgive. You know, one will destroy us, but the other will set us free. I think of all those testimonies I've heard over the years of of people who said once they were willing to just let go of that bitterness and they were willing to forgive that offender, it was like those chains were broken. The peace of God flooded their heart and God gave them victory. We want to cleave to the Lord. If there's any bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness, lay those things aside by God's help and cleave to the Lord and God will help you. There's another thing we want to make sure that when we're cleaving to the Lord, we aren't allowing certain things to cleave to us. Proverbs 101, or I'm sorry, Psalm 101.3, it says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. The psalmist here was saying, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Now, we know in life, we will all see things and hear things and encounter things that we have no control over. But when we can control the environment, when we can control what we see and hear, we want to be very careful. So says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. We don't want any part of the world to cleave to us. It's been said, what fascinates the eyes is apt to gain entrance into the heart. So we want to be careful. We want to guard our eyes. We don't want to allow anything in that would defile us or anything in the world that would cleave to us. I thought of another thing, the cares of life. This is probably something that we may all struggle with at times, those burdens and those cares. Why is it so difficult to give those things to the Lord? Yet it is, we know, but Jesus warns in Luke, he says, take heed to yourselves, lest at any time ye be overcharged with the cares of this life and Listed some other things there. That word overcharged means to be overtaken or overwhelmed. In Matthew, again, Jesus said to take no thought for these things. Again, he was referring to those cares of life, uh, food, clothing, shelter, the things we need. But he gave the formula. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Cleave to the Lord. Leave those other things in God's hands. God will take care of those things. He also tells us to cast all your cares upon Him, for He careth for you. Cast them all on the Lord. Don't give Him the little ones and hang on to the big ones. Cast them all on the Lord, for He will care for you. That's a beautiful promise. You know, there's a big difference between bringing our burdens to the Lord and leaving them with the Lord. I thought of a, found a poem a few years ago, and it kind of puts it into perspective. 
It says, as children bring their broken toys with tears for us to man, I brought my broken dreams to God because he is my friend. But then instead of leaving him in peace to work alone, I hung around and tried to help with ways that were my own. At last I snatched them back and cried, how can you be so slow? My child, he said, what could I do? You never did let go. God wants to bear your burdens. God wants to help you. God came to be your burden bearer, but you have to let those things go. God can help you, but we have to let him. Why do we bear these things out on our own? We don't have to. We can give them to the Lord. It grieves the Lord when we try to carry a load that we're not meant to carry. A load of sin, a load of uh, care, whatever it may be. Give those things to the Lord. God will sustain you. God will help you. We have some beautiful promises in God's Word. Psalm 55, verse 22. says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord. He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. He shall sustain thee. You know, when David wrote this psalm, he had just been betrayed by one of his closest friends. He was in deep distress. He had multiple threats from his enemies against his life. Yet in the midst of all that, he could pen these words because he knew God's power to sustain him. He said, he will sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. That word sustain means to keep in existence, to maintain, to supply with necessities or nourishment, to provide for to support from below, to keep from falling or sinking, to prop up. That's what the Lord has promised to do if we'll just cast those things on Him. You can't cleave to those things and cleave to these promises. But there's a wonderful blessing when we're able to set those things aside, cast them on the Lord. Another promise, Psalm 62, verse 8, says, Trust in the Lord at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. To pour out means to empty yourself, to let go. That old cliche, let go and let God. But it's true. You let go of those things. You let God take control. He said he would be a refuge for us. A refuge is a place of safety and protection. A safe haven, a place of provision a place where your needs will be met. Again, David, he wrote, when he was reflecting on his life, he says, I was, I'm, I once was young, but now I'm old, but I've never, never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. These are promises for us if we're willing to cleave to the Lord. God can help us. You know, cleaving is something we have to do with our hearts and not just our minds. In the book of Acts, the 11th chapter, we read the account of Barnabas as he was visiting the saints there in Antioch. We knew this church was made up of mainly Gentile believers. Many of them were Greeks or Grecians. It tells us when the word of the Lord was preached unto them, a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. And as you read that account, this was a time of great persecution for the church. It says, because of the persecution, many were scattered 
course, we know that's how the Lord uh, propagated the gospel by allowing those that were persecuted. They just told about what the Lord had done wherever they went. But this was a time of great persecution. We also know it's this church in Antioch where believers were first referred to as Christians. You read in verse 23 of that chapter, it says, When Barnabas saw the grace of God that was extended to them, he was glad, he was overjoyed. Salvation had come to the, the, the Gentiles, and grace was being extended. And it said he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. You see, he knew they would be facing a time of persecution ahead, a time of difficulty. Many of them would even have to give their lives for the cause of the gospel, but he was encouraging them to cleave unto the Lord because he knew God would give them deliverance and grace. God would sustain them. You know, the promise is the same for us. We don't know what we're going to face in the future, but we can cleave to the Lord with all our hearts. God will help us and sustain us if we do. You know, FDR once had a famous quote. He says, when you come to the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. Well, that's good advice. But I thought, what does that mean for a person who's unsaved, or who doesn't know the Lord, who doesn't have that hope of eternal life? I, I thought, you know, it made me wonder, well, what's that rope made of? What's it tied off to? Oh, but it's an entirely different story for the child of God. We know that that rope is God's promises in His Word. That rope for a Christian is that promise of God's Word. It's that thing where you go to God's Word in the midst of a difficulty or trial and you get a promise from God and you grab hold. You hang on for dear life. And you know what? Those promises are anchored in Christ. If you're going to tie off to something or anchor off to something, you want to make sure it's something permanent and unmoving. You want stability in the midst of instability. I thought of another story I read a while back about a man who was going to do some work on his roof. It was a steep roof, had a steep pitch, and as he was getting ready to work on the other side of that ridge, he threw a rope off to the other side there, and he thought if he tied off to something on the ground, it would give him some security. So he told his son, tie that rope off to that little tree right there. Well, the son looked at that tree, and it looked awfully small, so he decided he would tie it to the bumper of the family car. It looked much more permanent than that small tree. Well, you probably know where I'm going with this story. The wife was inside working, and she realizes she needed something from the store, so she ran out to make a run to the grocery store. She threw that car in reverse. That man came off that roof in fast order. The problem was he was tied off to something that can move, something that was unstable. We know, you know, this world is very unstable. 2020 has been a very interesting year. That's probably the understatement of the year. But really, it leaves many wondering what's going to happen next. I was even having a conversation with somebody, I can't even remember who, just the other day, and they kind of even said it tongue-in-cheek, but they said, well, what's the next disaster going to be? And it almost makes you wonder sometimes. We don't know. This world is so unstable. 
We know everything in this world is fleeting. The Word of God tells us that. Second Peter 3.10, it says that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It says the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the earth shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works therein shall be burned up. You know, these forest fires have been devastating. They have, and we don't belittle in any way the suffering some people have gone through. We grieve with the families that have lost loved ones and property, but it will be nothing compared to the day of the Lord when God sends judgment on this whole world. It says that the earth will melt with a fervent heat. It also tells us of 1 John, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But here's the key. It says, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We can have that hope of eternal life. We can have that stability in our lives. What are you cleaving to this morning? Are you feeling fearful and discouraged? Cleave unto the Lord. Are you feeling defeated or overwhelmed with the circumstances in your life? Cleave unto the Lord. Let go of those things that are hindering you and discouraging you and cleave unto the Lord. God is here. He wants to help you. He wants to be your burden bearer. Again, we'll close with that opening verse. That ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you, this day. That was the same group that was allowed to enter the promised land. You know, if you'll cleave unto the Lord, when everything else passes away, you know what? You're going to remain alive on that day of judgment. You'll be one of those that can enter into that promised land with the Lord. It's a wonderful hope beyond this world. We're thankful for that. But we need to cleave unto the Lord. Whatever your burden with this morning, you know, the Lord extends an invitation. Again, he says, uh, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Cast all your care upon him, and he will care for you. That's a promise in God's word. He can prove that today. We're going to sing 596, but I would encourage you, come to these altars, kneel where you are, call out to the Lord today. God will help you. He'll strengthen you, and he'll sustain you.